Welcome to the Golf Show with Jeff Kolpak on 740 The Fan. That's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! The Golf Show is presented to you by Michelob Ultra. Also brought to you in part by Fargo Park District Public Golf Courses, Forest Hills Resort, Moorhead Parks, Wildflower Golf Course, and Austin's Golf. Here it comes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? Now, let's head to the first tee. This guy's pretty good. And here's your host, Jeff Kolpak. And we are off. This is First Tee. This is Jeff Kopat. The golf show running 17 years and continuing. Thanks for everybody for coming along. Boy, I've really enjoyed this show this year like I do every year. It's just been one blast after another. First and foremost, a regular friend of the show. I don't want to say longtime friend of the show because it applies to her age, Lisa. How long did you say you've had the golf show? Seventeen years. What? How is that even possible? Oh, I know. It's just it's just crazy. But uh, Lisa Schwinden is our guest and a PGA Master Professional and Osgood Head Professional in Southwest Fargo. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. I love the way. Uh, so this is my actually sixteenth year at Osgood too, mm-hmm. and I don't know how that's possible. But uh, people always ask, you know, geez. That is a really long time, and I always tell them I started when I was 12. So <laughs> that's right. Start doing that, too. And then they think about it, and they're like, wait a minute. They're like, no, no, that's not right. But man, it has been a long time, hasn't it? Well, let's just start right there. You brought it up. 16 years at Osgood. The, the course has just seen, I think, incredible growth, like a lot of courses where they start from fresh and just mature over time. What have you seen from, from your chair? Yeah, growth in, in absolutely everything we do. Um, we started with the, what we call our senior men's league on Tuesday mornings with five, six, ten guys. Now we average 90 guys a week. Um, our, our ladies' league is full. Our men's club is full. Our tea times are booked solid. You know, our junior lessons are packed. Um, just growth in absolutely every aspect of the game out here. Where do you think uh, on the course as far as physically? You know, with uh, there's not a lot of oh, trees the out there, but yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, the natives growing mm. taller, areas filling in. You know, it's just such a difference with, with the houses now that are built around. You know, in the old days, there was nothing out here. It was really in the middle of nowhere almost. And now we are surrounded completely on all sides by development and homes and businesses. And we're not the, the edge of, of South Fargo anymore. We're practically like in the middle of the city. I want to take you back to that. When you first started and there wasn't much out there, I think there were people going... And I had this conversation with Lyle Hornbacher when he was on the show a month ago that when they first built uh, Oxbow way down in, 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 in Hickson, people are going, yeah. what are you doing? That's halfway to yeah. WAP it and it'll, it'll never work. It'll never work. It'll never happen. Did you have a similar thoughts or did you hear similar comments to that? You know, yes, because it was so far away. You know, and the, and the, when we started uh, in 2005, the corner of 40th and 45th Street was nothing. You know, it was like a dirt road, and then they put a two-way stop sign in, and then they put a four-way stop, and then they put a stoplight in, <laughs> and now it's a six-lane major intersection that people just, you know, couldn't envision that this development would happen so much. But with the with Sanford Hospital out here, and now uh, just the homes and the development and the businesses, you know, it, the, the people who haven't been here in five, ten years who come out here are just amazed. 
Let's go back to last week because Osgood hosted an event for the Roger Maris All-Star Week. It's the first time a nine-hole event has been held at Osgood. The usual Roger Maris tournament went on as, you, as scheduled at, at Rose Creek with 18-hole uh, uh, scramble in, um, in, in the morning and the afternoon. But this was new, Lisa, with uh, the Osgood format. Let's go back. When you first heard about this in the planning stages, what was going on? You know, it's a great idea. You know, Mouse has been around for such a long time. It's got such a, a reputation of being for really good players. You know, it draws great players. It draws really good golfers with good handicaps, and it's a really competitive field. There's got to be something which we push out here all the time for some people that are more social, that that are not uh, don't have a handicap, don't play all the time, but still want to participate. And what a great opportunity for players that they just want to have more of a social nine-hole event to still recognize their friends that are survivors, to still raise some money for Roger Maris Cancer Center, um, and still be able to participate. It was a great a great event. We had 10 teams for the first year, which is an awesome way to start. And the growth on that is going to be, frankly, pretty easy to do because that's that's the way golf is going. You know, you got to have a lot of time and a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of commitment to, to make your game really good, to have a handicap and to play at a competitive level. We get that. Like people don't have that now. So let's keep the game more fun. Play a four-person scramble, nine holes. That's not going to take the whole day, and be able to be a little bit more relaxed. Um, but do it for the right reasons, and those reasons are recognizing survivors and raising some money for for a great fundraiser. Right when Amy Ruley showed up with a golf ball that looked like a basketball, <laughs> it was probably a little different tournament. And she but, broke out a box of balls, and there was probably it was one of those six packs, and it had every single different like sport, like baseball, and football. And I said, you know, you got to play that basketball. I mean, you yeah. don't really have a choice. And she, that's, I hope she played that the whole round. And she started, I think, in the in the pre-tournament uh, talk that you gave, or just the instructions. And she spoke for a little bit. She said, I'm Amy Ruley. I'm a 20-year survivor. And that's what it's about. That's what it's about. That really what, is. Did you uh, yeah, hear? It's about recognizing those people. Right, right. What, what could, did you hear other stories along the way and, uh, you know, with, uh, with the Roger Maris week? Yeah, people that just wanted to, you know, play in that event to kind of, you know, think of their friend or their their family member that maybe is a survivor mm-hmm. um, and, and be able to participate and, and raise some money, throw some money in the pot, you know, just not by playing, but buying mulligans and, and doing the extra stuff uh, to help be a part of the process. And so lots of great stories of people who have used Roger Maris uh, facilities in town and, and what a blessing it is for us to have that uh, in our backyard. Are you surprised that this tournament has evolved in in this manner? Because for 35, 36 years, it was sort of the old guard. That's uh, the same way of doing things. It was the six sums. It takes all play, all day to play golf. What do you think changed in thinking there, Lisa? You know, that's just the way that we see golf changing in general. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you would have proposed the idea of a top golf, to the you know the old guard, they would have mm-hmm. laughed and said, "No, no way." Right. Top golf now is the most popular thing around because it's great. It's fun. You don't have to be a really great player. You're not playing your own ball all the time. It's a great environment. It's so, more social. This is exactly what we see with golf in general. It needs to be more family focused. It needs to be more relaxed. Um, you need to just pick the ball up and throw it if you need to. Like it doesn't. It doesn't have to be so rigid and so. Um, you know, organized as far as if you want to play in tournaments, great, good for you. Uh, mm-hmm. There's certainly a need for that, and there's certainly a draw for that. But at the same time, most of us just don't have enough time to practice or play and be able to keep a handicap or play at the level that, you know, would require someone to play in a serious tournament. 
this is what golf is doing, and this is how, as golf professionals, we need to evolve and keep making the game more fun and welcoming more people in. Lisa Schwinden is a head professional at Osgood Golf Course in Southwest Fargo on 740 The Fan, coming to you from KRK Marine and Power Sports Studios. Are you okay with that, the way things have changed? You grew up, you played yeah. college golf at the University of Portland, and I might add a, a journalism major, so I would anoint you as yeah. the smartest golf pro out there. Well, thank you very much. You know, I obviously have a... I think the world of you guys and gals in media too, being able to write effectively because I tried so hard to do that, and, and clearly not using my college degree, and I'm sure my parents are disappointed <laughs> no, in that. No, I don't uh, think so. Definitely something to be said for for media people. So congrats to you. But you know, golf was easier for me than writing. Pretending it's not the same. Um, you know, I loved college golf, but it was hard. It was a grind. It was mm-hmm. a lot of work. Most players are burned out afterwards. You know, when I play now, I play for fun. We, you know, throw the ball back in the fairway. Uh, I played the other night with the uh, two former college players. Too. We had a blast, and we played a two-putt max. You got the ball in the green, and all you're going to do is two putts. It was the most enjoyable round of golf I've had in a long time because we told stories and laughed and mm-hmm. kind of hit the ball all over the place. Um, and just unless you have a bunch of time to practice, playing at a, at a level that high is just not going to happen. So we've got to evolve the game and make it more fun. I think I had the toughest adjustment i guess you could call it with people playing music on the course i grew up old school my father was a very old school golfer you play by the rules you play with with honor integrity you don't do anything with the ball here and there and mm-hmm. uh certainly don't play music but i'm fine now i i can handle anything so it's I, different it's yeah. really different and i think there's a time and place for everything too you know um i'm not per se a music listener while you I play either, especially something that is going to ruin my tempo too fast, too loud, too mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and there's a time and place for everything too. Right? There's a time to not to keep all over the list if you're playing in a high school or college tournament or you're playing for money or an event or whatever it might be. But yep. when you're playing for fun, like, yes, absolutely. Um, kick it out of the woods if you have to. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Lisa and Golf with Lisa. This is Jeff Kopak. This is The Golf Show on 740 The Fan. This is Jeff Kopak. This is the Golf Show on 740 The Fan, 107.3 FM. Coming to you from KRK Marine and Power Sports Studios. Lisa Schwinden is the guest head professional in Osgood Golf Course in Southwest Fargo. Golfwithlisa.com, I believe, is still the website, right? That's it. Oh, yeah, it's great. I've got a booking site on there now, too, so you can go directly to the website and book your private lesson right there. Plus, I've put all of my junior instructors on there, too, this year, too. Hmm. It's so great. We've got a, a phenomenal assortment of junior instructors who teach private lessons for a really reasonable price. So get your kids signed up for a private lesson, and uh, it's the best way to get your kids better this summer and to have a great time, too. I remember when you first started that. With the, It's been going probably since you started there, right? Yeah, the I mean, website? we started it probably, yeah, 10, gosh, I don't again age myself, 10 years ago maybe. Yeah. It's just been great because we've got such high demand for everything, you know, and you want to be able to give people the best customer service you can, but answering phone calls and getting back to people is, is brutal. So this mm-hmm. just makes it so much easier to go on the site, pick the time, see what times are open, and book right there. Do you find people ha- have comments online and it's easier easier to respond and, and instead of just being rushed in the in the pro shop? Yeah, totally. You know, we're booking key times online now, too, is the easiest way to do it. Booking your lessons online. You know, it's modern technology. We all kind of got to get get into that of, 
doing stuff on an app, doing stuff on your phone, just making it easier, taking less time, talking to somebody in the shop. So it's the uh, it's just such a simple process, and the format with this booking set that he used is great too. Here's what it says on the website: Learn to golf in a relaxed ladies-only lesson series taught by PGA Master Pro Lisa Schwinden. We always cover the fundamentals, so it's great for beginners and intermediate level golfers. I think you've been fantastic, especially for the kids, but really being patient and, and taking beginners, correct? That that cannot be easy. It's like it's like these band teachers in third grade or fifth grade. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine, you know, how they the patience it takes. You know, I, I can't relate that to, to teaching kids because uh, that that does sound pretty brutal. <laughs> uh, but teaching beginners and, and new players is so rewarding for me. It really is the best, some of the best lessons we have is being able to take somebody who feels really uncomfortable and not sure what they're doing and probably have gotten some terrible advice. Uh, most of the advice uh, that people give you in golf is awful mm-hmm. and it's the opposite of what you want to do. So taking players that you just, have gotten bad advice, don't know what they're doing and get them to a point where they feel comfortable and feel kind of empowered. It's really wonderful. It's great. It's one of the best parts of my job and our ladies beginner lesson series on Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursday nights has become hugely popular again. Um, Just a really, really great time. And we always do like, I get it. Golf is not, it's not easy. It takes uh, lots of practice, but we need to make it fun and relaxed. And that's what we do. Your ladies league has really gone gung ho, hasn't it? Yep, that has been full and huge for gosh, four, five, six years now. It basically is full from the start of the, the season on. Um, you've got to gotta get a spot in early if you want a spot at all, and you got to pay for the whole season up front. And mm-hmm. again, we you know we're playing a scramble each week to make it more fun and relaxed. We don't need to be a really great player to play, but we all need our time on the golf course. And this is a time that the ladies get to play, and it's. It's a great social experience for them. I'm going to name some of these names on the on the teams. There's a couple I don't think I can say over the air. I don't want to take a no, chance on it. But <laughs> uh, but part party girls, P A R T girls, uh, party animals, crazy hookers. Oh yeah. Going for broke, F O R E, dirty birdies. I like this one. Fairway to heaven. That's a pretty good That's one. A good one, yeah. Uh, what do we got? I, my favorite team is the, is the golf bags. The golf banks, so, that's good. So a, a team of more, and they're not per se old, older, I guess, maybe more mature ladies, but mm-hmm. I just love that one so much. The golf bags is the greatest. There are some other ones in there, too, that you probably don't want to say, but yeah. that's the, the idea is to make it fun. Uh, grip it and sip it. That's pretty cool. Links to drinks. That's a good one. Oh, here's a, here's a good one. <laughs> Tough mother putters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, uh, in the old days, I used to call people to the tee, like call their group to the tee, and it was too embarrassing for me. So now I don't want to do that you anymore. Know, what do? How has teaching changed over the years with technology in the way you've taught golf? You know, I've always been the person who, if you can't do it or you can't use that whatever teaching aid that you're trying to to use on the golf course, I don't use it very often because we need to be able to transfer what you're doing on the driving range to the golf course. And if you can't do that, then taking a lesson is probably not going to, you know, unless you really got a lot of time to work and mm-hmm. practice, which good yep. for you if you do, most people don't, you have to be able to transfer those skills to the course to, to play and to use them. So I am not a huge um, technology person. Uh, there is a ton of technology out there. And some people like that kind of stuff. Some people want that information, want to be able to see their swing, um, you know, the amounts of technology that are available now is, is unlimited. 
I've never been a huge fan of, of a lot of that stuff because you've got to be able to feel it and you've got to be able to, to repeat that move again on the golf course. And if you're doing a lesson and you've got, you know, something, something strapped to your hand or something on someplace that you can't do it when you play, mm-hmm. uh, being able to repeat it's going to be a challenge. Lisa Schwinnon is the guest. This is Jeff Kopech. This is the Golf Show on 740 The Fan. 740thefan.com is the address. I will give you an example, Lisa, for somebody who needs lessons, and that's me. I, <laughs> I, 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 yep. I, I started taking them in, in the public school or the public the public course system. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And had my first I, the golf game. It's, it's over the last seventy years. It, it's just gone downhill. The the, the gin. I, it, it's uh-huh. been a slow, slow, sl- you know, steady decline. Nothing dramatic, but over seven, eight years, it, it's just been. Uh, I think when you look at the stats, it's kind of like, wow, I used to be able to yeah. do that. Now I can't do that, and so I started over essentially. And I couldn't believe how bad my swing and my habits really got. And in fact, uh, uh, the first lesson was really just bring it back and bring it forward. This is the way mm-hmm. your wrist should be. I went, yeah, wow, it, so it felt stiff. I felt horrible. Just in, but, but that's how my body had adjusted to the other way. So uh, does that sound familiar to you? Are, yeah, our bodies are so smart. You know, you start to, something gets a little bit off in your swing. You know, if you, think of if your feet were, were aligned terribly off, and but your body knows that you need to hit the ball a certain direction. Right. Your, your body is going to do something to adjust your swing. And then you do it kind of over and over. And as golfers, we're constantly trying to make improvements. Um, the good part, job security for those of us that teach, is that lots of times what you think you're doing and adjusting is not the problem. And lots of times you're making it worse. Uh, so that's why most people need a lesson. Even good, you know, you see the players on tour, Amy Olson and, and everybody else on tour are getting lessons constantly because we're trying to break those, okay, the, the ball is doing this. I think I'm doing this. And so I'm going to adjust for it. And that usually is not what's happening, and it makes it worse. I want to finish. So getting a lesson, yeah. just one, is really a great idea. I want to finish there with Amy Olson because you were the one that recruited her to North Dakota State before you left college coaching. She yep. re- restructured her swing. I did a big story on this last February with Ron Stockton out in California. It really took two to three years, I think, before she figured it out. Mm-hmm. We, when you see what she did, what did she do? How do you explain what she did to the to the common listener? Well, she just made so it's really funny that the golf swing. There's a lot of personal preferences in the swing and what you can do. There are some laws too involved. You know, we need to get the club face back to square, and we need to hit the ball in the downswing with our irons to make consistent contact. How you get to those positions and what you do can be very, very different. Teaching professionals are all very different too on what they focus on, what they think is going to get you to those positions, and then players are very, very different too. What makes the most sense? What movements in your body can you do to get in those positions? Um, she's always been a phenomenal ball striker. Her, her iron play um, has just been really, really good. You know, she's really struggled, if anything, putting. Mm-hmm. And that can be lots of times a philosophy thing, too. I know she's done aim point. She's done a little bit of different stuff to, to try to get the most comfort. But it comes down to finding the instructor that works best with you and can explain things and make the adjustments that you're comfortable with. Amy's such a phenomenal player. Uh, she could do a lot of different things to be successful, um, but it's really just her buying into a different system and following that and trusting it and going with it. And sometimes you just need a change and something to work on to give you that confidence back to feel like you're making progress. 
I wonder if her body felt this was really different. This isn't right when she first started that. You know, and she's not, when you've got level players of that level, she's not standing on the golf course, you know, in the U.S. Open thinking, I'm going to do this and this, the club's going to do that and that. You're in the zone. You're just, you've got some swing thoughts and you're just hitting it. You are not thinking about your swing one bit. And she's practiced so hard and developed her swing so much that it just defaults to that. So it takes a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of practice and time for players that have practiced as much as she has to make a changes and then to be able to do them under serious stress when there's a lot of money on the line is even more impressive. True or false? When you're playing well, you're not thinking about your swing? Absolutely. You're not thinking about your score. You're not thinking about your swing. You are staying focused, just hitting the shot in front of you, picking your targets, landing the ball where you want to, never thinking about your score, uh, very, very little about your swing too. God, I got to get back to that. <laughs> I just got to get back yeah, to hard, that. It's it it? really yeah. hard. Lisa, a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. That's Lisa Schwinden, journalism major, journalism graduate, went on to bigger and better things in the golf world. This is Jeff Kopak. 740 The Fan is the station, 107.3 on the FM dial. We're going to take a break. Back with more after this. Welcome back. This is the Golf Show. This is Jeff Kopeck on 740 The Fan, 107.3 FM, and 740thefan.com is the address coming to you from the KRK Marine and Power Sports Studios. Thanks again for Lisa Schwinden. Always fun to talk to Lisa, a journalism major. This is sort of a going to be a journalism theme a bit, even though Lisa is now in, in the golf world. I love good writing. I, I As a writer for 35 years i know good writing and i enjoy it and i when i read it i just um, uh, i appreciate it more than anything and this spring with the minnesota golfer magazine by the minnesota golf association uh, the editor warren ryan i thought wrote something so cool he's talking about his days back in the in the 80s when he was called the swing man and it was one of those beginning jobs and it was during the Challenger explosion that uh, this all came about. And toward the end, I'm just going to read this. It says, but cold weather delayed the launch for several days. And I, along with millions of Americans, saw it live thanks to a small TV in the starter shack. Stepping outside, I could plainly see the forked exhaust trail hanging in the clear blue sky. Quote, that's never happened before, said the cart man, an escapee from Margaritaville who had witnessed numerous Cape launches. Packy for my trip home, I was riveted to the TV as Nicholas, like a proverbial phoenix, made a late-round charge during the Masters. He eagled 15 en route to a 600-par, back nine in his fifth green jacket. Quote, and here's how the column ends. There's life in the old bear yet, cried the late Ben Wright. And so without further ado, the writer is courteous to join us for a few minutes. Warren Ryan, he is the communications director and editor-in-chief for the Minnesota Golf Association. Warren, that was really good. Hey, Jeff, I'm flattered. Um, it's, it sounded better when you read it. So <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> um, I want to start there with uh, your time as a swing man, which is, I guess, is one of those jobs, uh, those beginner jobs when you're in Florida. Uh, what is a swing man? Yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, it was, it, I was at the very bottom of the uh, totem pole mm-hmm. for the, uh, the outside golf staff. 
And essentially what my role was, um, I would relieve the full-timers, so they'd get a day off. So I would do uh, two days in the bag room, you know, uh, shuffling golf bags around and cleaning clubs and picking the range. And then I'd do two days in the cart barn, you know, shuttling golf carts to the staging area, area and then cleaning them up and putting them away. And then two days in the starter shack, um, taking tee times and starting off groups off the first tee. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I mentioned I was at the bottom of the totem pole, but I, I really enjoyed the job because every day I was doing something different. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if you've worked in, the, in a bag room, for instance, uh, if you do that four or five, six days a week, it gets pretty, uh, mind numbing, mm-hmm. uh, cause those are long days in the golf business. You know, you're working sun up, sun down for yeah. the most part. But isn't so, it, isn't um, it a great learning experience though? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, um, so I, I worked at a club called the lost tree club. Yeah. It's in North Palm and it's a pretty nice upscale uh, private club and, um, the staff was great. You know, they were, I want to say they were, you know, the cream of the crop. And of course the members were, were pretty phenomenal. I think I mentioned in the column, a few of the members, Yeah. but that's where the Nicholas, that's where Jack Nicholas lives. So Jack's a member and, um, the late, uh, Carrie Middlecoff was a member. Um, and then there was some, a few celebrity members. And so, you know, it was kind of cool to meet those people and, see, you know, be around them, even though I was an employee. Yeah. Um, just great memories. Yeah. I, I got a story for you, and I think you'd appreciate this. Our our oldest boy was at Minnesota State more at his freshman year and, and was struggling. It just wasn't going well. And so, a long story short, a friend of mine and I were just talking to him one day during the spring semester, again, when things weren't going well, and we said, what about going to Florida or, or, or Arizona? You know, he, he had some experience working at a golf course. I knew from down there, I've known people from down there that they, they, they like hiring people from Minnesota and North Dakota because there's a good work ethic. And sure enough, he uh, gets up this plan the next year, drives down there by himself, gets a job within a day at a golf course down there. And I thought, well, that was one of his best life experiences. He worked there, went to school. And uh, I think I think the golf industry is great for something like that. Can I mean, can you relate to that? Uh, well, I, I, I'm pretty impressed that he drove down there without a job. So he went down there without yeah. something set up and then landed a job. That's pretty pretty impressive. Um, you know, the golf the golf bug sort of gets under your skin. It gets in your blood, mm-hmm. um, and it's <laughs> it's hard to get away from golf once you, once you're around it. And um, I, I don't know how to really describe that, except that um, I love being out on the golf course. I, I feel incredibly comfortable out there. Um, I love playing the game. I love being around the game. I love writing about the game. Um, I do a little photography on the side, so I love doing that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I hope I leave the game better than, uh, than I found it. At least when my career's over, I'd hope that might be something that people say about me. Um, um, and I, I bet your son probably feels similar. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. if he, if he's, you know, he's, he's sort of going out there, he's going on the road on his own, finding, discovering himself, you know, landing his first job. Um, that, those are all great experiences, certainly. Right. And they build character and they build confidence. Um, you know, you can, you can do, you can face a lot of challenges, um, 
in the world if you if you're out there without the safety net, you know. Great stuff in the in the Minnesota Golfer magazine, the spring issue, by the way, and they're always good. This one, I've I, I, re- I think I read every article, and I don't know. Sometimes, like my stories, I, I feel like sometimes you hit it good, and sometimes, well, I, I thought I could have done better. I thought everything you hit, Tom Ryan, uh, that's a relation, I'm guessing, right? No, no relation. No, no relation. We, okay. We share, we share uh, the same last name. Yeah, yeah. His his story on rejuvenating Minnesota's caddy program. What do you think of that? Uh, it was good. Tom um, Tom writes a very thoughtful column, and Tom, you know, he is a caddy basically. Mm-hmm. He um, he caddied as a youth at Town and Country uh, in St. Paul and landed a Evans scholarship uh, to the university. And uh, he's a great player. I don't know if you've ever um, played around with him, but he's uh, essentially a scratch golfer. Um, but really, at heart, he's a he's a caddy. <laughs> yeah. And so, a caddy the caddy program, the Evans program, is pretty close to his heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can tell that when you read his column. Um, and I hear what you're saying about you know it's hit or miss. Some some of my columns write <laughs> themselves. Yeah. You yep. know, um, like the spring column, for instance, mm-hmm. that sort of wrote itself. Uh, and other columns are a real struggle. Um, and you can tell, you know, when you put it together, you're like, eh, it's not my best. Yeah. Sometimes but, you just got to go with it. You do. Yeah, right. So. Right, and we have great contributors in the magazine, Joe Overly. Um, we have great photography. I wish we had more space so that we could showcase more, um, but, you know, pages cost money, and um, in print advertising, you know, we use some print advertising to subsidize the production of the magazine, but, you know, you know that print advertising is not right. what it was 10, right. 15 years ago. Well, you have a magazine, so that's great. I mean, they're 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 going the way of of whatever. But I just love getting the magazine. One of your contributors is Mike Barge, and and people around here know the Barge name very well. Mike's been at Hazeltine for many years, and is uh, I believe on your editorial board. Anyway, he has a, a a little blurb on finding that sinking feeling, the flagstick in or out. Now, with the pandemic, it was one of those um, it, it's one of those things now where you have the choice. Uh, what are you finding people in or out, or what's your choice? Well, my, my choice is to leave it in. Um, I've gotten used to it because of COVID, and um, I, I've always had the opinion that it speeds things up just a little bit. You're not you're not taking it out, putting it back in, and you don't have to put the flag back in when you're done the hole. Um, but I get some people don't like it doesn't feel right when they have a short putt and the flag sticks in the hole, and so they prefer to have it out. But I, I truly believe it uh, – it improves pace of play, and um, the summer issue mails June 30th, and there's an article in the summer issue about some COVID practices um, that um, so that were put in place, some best practices that were put in place last year, but that are going away. And one of them was, you know, leaving the flag in. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you recall last year that we couldn't touch anything. Yeah. Oh yeah. You couldn't touch. And there was, you know, you had to play touchless golf. And of course, those rules have gone away. Um, but I talked to a couple of golf course operators, and it's in this story um, Jeff May out at Baker and Steve Willick out at Oak Marsh, kind of two ends of, of the Twin Cities. And they both commented that um, those touchless rules really improved pace of play. In fact, Jeff May thought it improved pace of play by about 30%. Wow. So they were playing. The rounds were about 15 minutes shorter uh, than normal. And uh, you know what? Golf usually gets a bad rap for slow play. And um, I, that's one of those rules where I wish we could 
I wish we could institute a rule. Hey, don't touch the flag stick. <laughs> Figure out how to play by and leaving it in because it would improve pace of play. Yeah. And also, you know, bunker rakes. That was the other thing. There were no bunker rakes, so uh, golfers weren't really taking the time to rake the bunker. They might do it with their foot, you know, but right. they weren't really yeah. raking the bunker. So that was probably another reason why pace was up or was down or was improved. Mm-hmm. And also, I think the tee time intervals um, helped as well. Because they, they, you know, the tee time intervals went to like 10 minutes versus eight or nine. And I think that makes a big difference, too. Warren Ryan is the communications director for the Minnesota Golf Association. Don't go anywhere. More with Warren right after this. Backspin. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And we're back. This is the Golf Show. This is Jeff Kopak on 740 The Fan and 107.3 FM. Warren Ryan is the guest communications director for the Minnesota Golf Association. Warren, one more thing on, on the uh, on the spring issue of the magazine. And this is a subject I don't think I've ever addressed in the 17 years I've had this golf show. But uh, it's called Enhanced Experience. It's a survey, really a survey of several questions. Tobacco, alcohol, and guns. Alcohol on the course... The question is, uh, the percentage of respondents who consume alcoholic beverages while playing golf, 24% very rarely, 46% occasionally, 17.8% never, and only 11% always. Uh, that, I like that. I like those numbers. I'll take those. What do you think? I thought, I, I, I kind of chuckled when I saw those results, 11% always. Um, because, you know, <laughs> around the golf starts, it can start at 7 in the morning or it could start, you know, at 5.30 in the afternoon. And I think uh, mm-hmm. maybe the 5.30 round of golf, uh, you might be drinking a few beers or whatnot. But an <laughs> early, morning, early morning round of golf, yeah. for me, usually doesn't include any alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of chuckled at that. Um yeah, th- those surveys, we, Dan Sekow, who's a professor of industrial psychology at, at uh, Mankato, he helps put those together for us. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, you know, we have a great database that he has access to. And so we might have had, I want to say we might have had 6,000 respondents in that survey. It was, survey was about a year ago, I think. Right. Maybe a little over a year. It was okay. Before, it was before COVID really shut things down. Um I recall, but we knew it was coming. Anyway, in any case, um, we get great response from, from our members. Uh, for some reason, they love um, they love being asked their opinions about um, things that are related to the game. And um, Dan does a great great job. He usually has a um, he usually has a PhD student who is uh, is helping put the surveys together, and we kind of collaborate on the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it would never occur to me to ask questions about about guns because um, I, you know, guns on the golf course really that never that issue never comes up. Yeah, ninety four percent against. Know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, for instance, the use of marijuana or uh, use of uh, CBD. Um, I don't know if you see other golf publications, but we do in the office, and I've noticed other golf publications there are ads for CBD. Um, so that seems, you know, for some reason, the golfer demographic seems to be a target for those companies. Hmm. So that's why we put that question in there. 
On alcohol, yeah, alcohol. I, I'm in the very rarely. It, it's tough enough. <laughs> the game is tough enough. I don't know if I need you know two or three, four beers. I don't know. I mean, I guess those scrambles are different. But just playing with my with the guys I play now, I I I, I generally don't drink. I don't need to. I don't want to. Yeah, I I, I uh, one beer will relax me, mm-hmm. you know, and certainly uh, more than one uh, while I'm playing golf is probably going to interfere with my you know coordination and my balance. Um, so, you know, there's a joke that beer's called, you know, aiming fluid right? or, sw- or swing oil, you know? So yeah, alcohol probably does loosen up some folks, um, on the golf course, you know, cause there's a nervous tension. Um, but I, I like to play, I like to compete. And so I like to be, I like to be sober most of the time. All right, the yep, the Minnesota, the MGA yearbook, three hundred twenty pages of golf information, and um, uh, boy, uh, how you guys do this every year is beyond me. It's a lot of work. State of golf in Minnesota these days, Warren. How would you describe it? I would say it's it's really fantastic. We've had a great uh, spring and early summer. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen after after COVID because you know there's a surge in demand last year because golf was really one of the few things you could go do safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we saw a huge increase in rounds. Um, and we weren't sure if we were going to, if that was going to continue this year. And I haven't seen any data, but anecdotally, uh, I talked to a few golf course operators and, and two of them said two public courses said they've had the, they had the best April in 20 years. Wow. So, um, so that's good. You know, I think golf is in a good place. Um, we just wrapped up, the women's match play championship here at Delwood um, country club. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the state of the game is good. Competitive game is good. There are a lot of great players. Um, our, we have something called Minnesota youth on course. It's for, it's for kids who are aged, you know, six to 18 and they can play, uh, play golf for $5 or less at participating clubs. Last year we, we saw a huge, Surge in youth in course, youth on course. We got about we got to about eleven thousand five hundred kids. Well, this year we we've hit twelve thousand. Hmm. Growth, so, growth, still growing, yep. Yep. still growing. So you know, all that stuff's a little bit anecdotal, um, but it's good. I think it's all good. I'll give you an example of uh, pandemic golf. Last May, May of two thousand twenty, I went with uh, seven other guys. We played the Corey and the Legends up in Giants Ridge. And it was a ghost town, and you're wondering if the state of golf, if there was going to be any golf at all the rest of the summer. Well, we know that answer because the, the game thrived. And we went back there this year, same place, and played the same two courses, and it was it was pretty crowded. So that was good to see. I'm guessing that's that's a general theme of courses around the state, is that they endured maybe last spring for a little bit, but after that it's been great guns. Yeah, yeah, there was no golf last spring. I mean, spring a year ago. Yeah. Um, because because of COVID, um, this spring we got an early start, and it, like you said, it has been great guns. Uh, again, this is anecdotal, but the stories I heard in the spring were people who had waited too long to rejoin or join a league, like a public league, nine-hole league, uh, men's club, or whatnot. They were finding that the leagues were full. Some leagues weren't even weren't even um, starting a waiting list. And you know, a couple of years that a couple of years ago, that would have been unheard of, mm-hmm. an unheard of situation. You know, so demand is up. Um, I'm I'm out here at Delwood, and I'm there's a junior program. There's about uh, 15 kids on the putting green with one of the assistant pros. 
taking lessons, you know, uh, little kids. They look like they're about seven or eight years old, boys and girls, you know, so it's good to see stuff like that. Was there spend too much time in the office? <laughs> was there a point where youth numbers were not going the way we wanted and they re- reversed? I can't remember now. Well, I can't either. But it seems like the National Golf Foundation would every year would tell us that junior golf was up, and junior and especially with junior, with girls, the junior girls and junior golf participation was up. I don't have any numbers I could refer refer you to, mm-hmm. um, but it seems to me that's what I remember hearing. And, um, you know, what happens with golf is you're, you're a junior, you play a lot of golf, um, but then you kind of leave the game as a young adult because you got to get on with things. You know, you go to college or you get a job, or in some cases you start a family and, you know, you sort of drop out of the golf game and you come back as a middle-aged person. You know, that, that seems to be the pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that 18 to 34-year-old demographic is um, a pretty hard demographic for golf, the golf industry, to, to latch on to. Because people those in that age group are they're busy doing other stuff. You know, they don't have time for the game. Uh, now, that's not true for all of them, obviously, you know. Um, but the typical kid um, probably wants to continue to play golf, but doesn't have the time. Right. Or the income, you know. Yep. Yep. Golf is not is not cheap, and if you're a young, I remember when I was in my twenties, um, it was sometimes hard to swing around a golf. You know, Warren Ryan from Minnesota Golf Association joins us on the golf show. This is Jeff Kopak on seven forty The Fan. Warren, before I let you go, the golf courses around the state, and there's so many good ones. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but and I know this changes all the time, but the hidden gem for you know, some people would say the wilderness or, you know, some other course. Uh, what comes to mind when, for destination golf? Well, that is a tough question to answer. Uh, Brainerd, um, uh, certainly Brainerd was on the map uh, as a golf destination about 20 years ago um, with, you know, Grandview Lodge and Madden's and Cragen's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, the Iron Range built the two courses up there in Wabak. Uh, great golf courses, worth the trip for sure. And then if you go a little further, you go to Tower and you play the Wilderness. Um, I couldn't tell you which is my favorite. They're yep. all top five. Yep. Right. That's the official MGA answer. And, but, and that's uh, true, though. We have great golf yeah. in Minnesota. Yeah. We do. And it's not really expensive relative to other parts of the country. You know. Um, and I really think that that's something that's unique to Minnesota. We don't have a long golf season, but we do have great golf. And boy, we enjoy it and we love it. I, I think we appreciate it. We, you know, we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I think so too. I think Minnesotans appreciate being outdoors doing stuff. Warren, great stuff as usual. Thank you again for uh, taking uh, an, an, some time out of your uh, out of your day. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Thanks very much. That's Warren Ryan. He's a communications director and editor in chief for the Minnesota Golf Association. Uh, boy, we could talk all day. Good stuff. This is Jeff Kopak again. Thanks to Lisa Schwinnen for joining us in the outset of the of, of the show, Lisa at Osgood Golf Course. That that place is in great great shape. If you haven't been out there, it's only nine holes, and do the three hole option too. That's a that's a really cool thing. This is Jeff Kopak. Until next week, get them straight. Thanks for listening to the Golf Show with Jeff Kopak on seven forty The Fan and one hundred seven point three FM. Have you seen anything like that?
Presented to you by Michelob Ultra. Also brought to you by Fargo Park District Public Golf Courses, Forest Hills, Moorhead Parks, Wildflower Golf Course, and Austeds Golf. Join us next Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m. for another edition of The Golf Show with Jeff Kolpak on The Fan.